Hello and welcome back to The Long Short. I'm Tom Kyo. And I'm Drew Nicholl. A quick look at the best performing economies globally last year shows that India once again featured among the leading front runners. The Indian stock market continues to surprise with both benchmark indices, the Sensex and Nifty 50, hitting consecutive record highs over the past year. The value of the S&P BSC 100 index, which tracks the performance of India's biggest companies, has soared over 200% since May 2014, which was the year Prime Minister Modi took office. And the optimism around what is now the world's most populous nation is in stark contrast to the hangover being experienced in China, which is grappling with a myriad of challenges, geopolitical and economic. And people are taking notice. Last month, the MSCI announced it would increase India's weighting in its Emerging Markets Index to 18% when it was as low as 7% only a few years ago. And the good times appear to be set to continue. The IMF forecasts that India is to grow by 6.5% over the coming year, while there appears to be a growing consensus that the country is likely to break into the top three of the world's largest economies within the next two to three years. So, given all the ingredients are seemingly in place for India's continued economic prosperity, we at The Long Short wanted to know what all this means for the country's burgeoning asset management industry. Recent news that the world's largest asset manager has returned to India, as well as other private equity and private credit firms exploring opportunities in the market, all piqued our interests. And joining us today to help join all the dots on what is happening in India and his exciting predictions for alternative assets is Shiv Segal. Shiv is the president and head of capital markets at Nuvama Capital Markets, and he boasts over two decades of experience in the investment management industry. Among other things, Shiv leads Nuvama's India markets endeavors, and so is perfectly placed to help us understand the great India transformation story. The first part of this episode includes a high-level overview of the boon being experienced across the Indian economy. While in the second part, Shiv explains to us what this means for the asset management industry and to the extent that alternative assets are also being considered for investors. So we really hope that you'll enjoy the conversation. Shiv, you're very welcome to The Long Short. Thanks a lot, Tom. Very excited to be here. So, Shiv, let's start from the top then. Uh, For those listeners who are not hugely familiar with the growth story that India is witnessing, could you put all of this into context Uh, including India's rise to being the fastest growing economy in the G20 group of large nations last year? Sure. So I think, you know, the the financial press and and the investor community is uh, quite well averse. And, and, you know, the fact that India is the fastest growing country today, uh, I think that fact is well documented. But what is significantly underappreciated is the quality of growth that is happening in in India today. Um, And if I just had to, you know, look at, big picture view today across the world, while recession really hasn't occurred from economic point of view, the deep cyclical paths, which is manufacturing, credit and real estate uh, from a global perspective are all in a slump. And, you know, if you look at the global manufacturing PMIs, they've all been in contraction for four more than a year, uh, more so in Europe and China as well. But if you look at India, India is booming across, you know, all these parameters that we look at in India, we are at decade highs. There is a similar story across credit where growth has softened materially across the globe. But in India, in fact, bank balance sheets are in the best of their health and credit growth again is at multi-decade highs. And if I look at the the largest investment piece, which drives a lot of investment and uh, sentiment, which is real estate, sales are down by more than 30 or 40% in the US. Uh, China is definitely going through a deflation in real estate. But in India, sales in real estate 
in value terms are growing 30 to 40% year on year. Uh, in fact, uh, on a monthly basis, we have hit new record highs for the last 12 months in India in terms of uh, uh, um, registration that are happening in real estate. And you know, more importantly, if I look at uh, the cyclical growth that's happening, uh, it's without any macroeconomic excess or inflation um, in terms of you know both current account um, and our core inflation being well contained. And not only that, I think you know the first and most important metric is corporate fee cash flows. Uh, and if you look at India, the India post-COVID normalization has been. Uh, I think the flag bearer of the India growth story and free cash flows for corporate India are almost three to four X what they were pre-COVID levels. What all that means is that there is a sustained growth runway for the India growth story, right? And that is well being displayed in the Indian stock performance as well. Um, and, you know, if you look at, I mean, of course, the index highlights, I mean, they will all capture uh, the headlines, which is, you know, India is making new all-time highs, whether I look at Sensex or Nifty or, or the mid-cap index, but it is the breadth that's actually more important. And I was looking at, you know, 2023, we, we tracked 23 subsectors in India and all three sub, all 23 subsectors closed in the green in India. What that is displaying is that within the small and mid-cap space as well, and the domestic cyclical, they're all up 50 to 60% above their 2021 highs. In most markets, including the US, this metric is actually down 10, 20% below their peaks. And you know, 2023 marked the eighth consecutive year where India closed in the positive. Now, all that encompasses the fact that the reason the investor community is getting excited in India is that India also has a very impressive long-term record in terms of equities. And Tom, I'll just kind of give you a metric. I think most of the I think the audience listening to this uh, podcast would be looking at MSCI India. Now, if I look at MSCI India, right, um, India has been the most consistent and best performing global index over, I think, if you look at any relevant investment time frame. And equally surprising factor to most investors is that these impressive equity returns have largely been driven by a long track record of relatively consistent compounded earnings uh, that the corporate India has also delivered. Now, to give you some metrics, you know, if I looked at the 20-year compounded average growth rate for MSCI India, that is almost 10.9% in USD terms. In local terms, that's almost 15%. And if I were to just look at, you know, broad index levels, not just look at MSCI India, but if I look at Sensex, uh, which actually started on 1st April 1979 with a base value of 100, today that index is 72,000, right? That's compounding at 15% CAGR as well uh, in terms of rupee. In terms of dollar, that's about 10% as well. And a very similar number uh, emerges for the Nifty Index as well, which started uh, in almost 1996. So, you know, that's that's the reality. Um, and if I had to just give one more metric uh, before your next question, I think, you know, India is also one of the few emerging markets where equity investors have actually got rewarded for the underlying economic growth that the country has shown. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that company earnings have tended to grow in line with the underlying GDP growth that India has seen. Now, of course, this sounds logical and somewhat basic, but what most investor community doesn't realize is that if you look at the swath of emerging markets, while earnings have grown in line with the underlying GDP, the investor return, the potential reasons why this has not happened across, whether if it's Brazil, whether it's China, is you know for various cases, like whether it is weak corporate governance, share dilution, index composition, or simply an overstatement of actual GDP growth that the, the, the economy would have seen. But in India, what's transpired is that GDP growth has been in line with what 
the index and compounded earnings have happened in terms of you know the share asset class which means that the investor returns have accrued to shareholders so india stands out as an interesting example with an em and uh, corporate earnings and the index level have you know tracked that growth over the last 20 years and that's a very important element uh, as we stand today and, and there are many market observers and economists that are describing the situation in India as being really at that pivotal phase when you think about the, the classic S-curve characteristics and the significant acceleration in urbanization and industrialization and household income and, and energy consumption and all these classic metrics that you measure when looking at a company's growth. But could you just talk about where India stands today because you, just there, you sort of you talk about India's comparison to um, other emerging markets, but then you're also comparing them to China and the US. So there's a, a certain amount of duality there, and um, the, the, there's potentially sort of two parallel narratives going on in India's growth. Could you just elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, it's it's fascinating how things have changed in India in the last decade alone. You know, India was famously or rather infamously part of the Fragile Five just ten years back. Right today, it's the investor darling along with Japan in you know from from a global perspective, uh, and it's one of the few beacons of growth uh, definitely in EM, but even from a global perspective as well. Um, and similarly, with regards to the markets, you know, India used to be clubbed along with EM that I just mentioned, but today's perception is quite different. You know, India is a country today where capacity building and inclusive development are going hand in hand. The economic reforms that India has undertaken over the last decade, which range from the GST implementation, which actually took 15 years to implement, the bankruptcy code, the ease of doing business that the prime minister keeps talking about, combined with the sustained push uh, towards especially, you know, the government capital expenditure and now private through PLI schemes, they're all working to expand India's potential growth rate. You know, and at the same time, what I do want to highlight, there's a social revolution of sorts. It's unfolding at the grassroots level, the ground level, with the expanding reach of you know electricity and cooking gas, free food, the direct benefit transfers, the affordable housing, and many more of all which add up to the social safety net for the lower income bracket in India, which is the largest diaspora, right? Such a comprehensive development has not seen has not been seen before in India. So in some in some sense, you know, I believe that India is still in the lower part of the S curve with a very long runway for the journey still ahead of us. And and. A factor arising from that, Chiv, um, and those students of economics will, will appreciate this as well, is the fact that this distribution of wealth effect that we're seeing in India, um, and I read a lot about the middle class um, being an area which is growing in size in terms of a percentage of the population of India. How has all that uh, evolved in terms of what we're seeing the asset management industry become in India. You know, can you give us a sense of what's happening there? You know, we've seen this middle class boom in India, and naturally that's seen a greater curiosity for investing. And there, ergo, you're now seeing the asset management industry the way it is in India. So great question. I think you know uh, the asset management industry has has improved leaps and bounds in the last decade as well, along with what's happened in the economy. You know, it has become uh, a, a broader. Uh, with more participation from across demographic, geographic, and income brackets. Uh, I think the investor community and the average retail investor today is more aware, uh, given the increased number of products uh, that the manufacturing base 
uh, and the mutual funds and, and the alternate industry has, have produced. Uh, and also, I think, you know, the market by itself has become a lot less volatile. Uh, given the large uh, SIP flows that is happening and what, what I mean by SIP is the structural uh, <clears throat> investment uh, products, you know, the, that, that the India sees, the mutual fund industry sees on a monthly basis. So there is also a very large domestic equity cult that has happened, uh, not just in the top seven cities where we used to historically see bulge uh, money coming into mutual funds, but that is you know, it's, it's kind of extrapolated into the top 15, 20 cities in India. So tier two, tier three cities are become inclusive into this in, into this growth phenomena. And it's also become a lot more consumer friendly uh, with clear mandates. And, you know, the regulators becoming uh, a, a lot more, uh, I would say, retail biased. And this in some sense, you know, the equity being equity boom that has resulted is, is a more equitable wealth creation. And especially in the, in the middle income group, you know, which is the which is the largest diaspora in India, I think uh, there is historically when India used to look at you know and uh, from an asset management perspective, you know, it was bulk of the money was in financial savings, in fixed deposits, in real estate, or in gold. Uh, I think this whole revolution where that's that's transpiring right now um, is you know, the higher share of millenniums and the Gen Z in the total population is, is not only influencing spending attitudes and preferences, but it's also morphing into the savings pattern that is happening into the mutual fund industry and the asset management industry as well. You know, historically, household savings never only gravitated towards physical assets such as real estate and gold, right? And I can see this changing rapidly. And I'll give you some, some, some idea here, right? Uh, Indians invest about 10% of their nominal GDP into financial savings. Of this, 10 to 15% flows into equities, and this number in the last four or five years has been rising. So the Indian asset management industry is doubling every five years. The mutual fund AUM today has grown to almost 600 billion uh, in the last, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's, it's a pretty large number, uh, especially for a, for a market like India. And in the last 18 months or so, we've seen some examples of major international players, you know, including the, the largest mutual fund, BlackRock, entering India again uh, as part of a joint venture. And, and that is just one example of several partnerships that we've seen with these large international asset managers entering India or re-entering India. So could you just help us understand, so do you feel like we're right at the start of this trend? You've already um, outlined there some, some pretty impressive growth figures. And also, what does it mean for the Indian market to have these major global brands appearing on the high street? Um, so I think, you know, there are, first we need to understand there are very factors uh, that have on that India is going at the moment, right, in terms of the growth. You know, I, I think we just need to take a step back and see what transpired in the last decade. You know, India has been undergoing a big deleveraging process, very unlike the rest of the Western world uh, and some of its, uh, you know, EM peers where there was a lot of, I would say, uh, money printing going on. Right. So India is finally coming out of that cycle, especially post-COVID. So strong balance sheets itself result in a very improved quality of growth in terms of corporate earnings. Second, in the first phase of Modi government, a lot of reforms were done. Most of the reforms have been front and have seen front-ended costs and back-ended benefits. And I think the third term of this incumbent government, when you know elections happen in the next two months, uh, we will see more reaping the benefits of the same and consistency of policy, which India has not seen historically in previous regimes. And third, 
there has been you know the very good macroeconomic management by the government and rbi which has one curtailed inflation and two the debt problems which have saddled the western world are not happening in india at the moment which means that there is improved profitability and cash flows that i just talked about and what is now happening is that you know india which has been i would say you know if you look at just look at the big picture here it's been toughened by the slow grind of economic rebounds you know we have been fortified and driven by the clean clean up in the balance sheets and now this energized capital expenditure push is is making india a very investable opportunity and hence what i am seeing is that a large part of uh, some of these mncs you know that uh, have looked at india have have been studying india for for the last couple of years have never taken the plunge are now trying to you know the right word is trying to be opportunistic and they realize that india is going to be such a large market in the next 10 20 years that they definitely want a footing and be part of the wealth management and the asset management growth that india is going to see right and just to give you some numbers again you know right now the mutual funds only own about 7.5 to 8% of, of the overall indian equities market cap you know if i look at the nse 500 while foreign institutions remain the biggest in terms of institutions with 18% ownership so as mutual funds become more and more prominent players um you know if you just compare it to the us the active fund managers in the us own about 55% of the overall market so this large so this large runway right is 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 going to be very meaningful for any of these mnc players to come into india and win this market share as well yeah not a huge potential and that and that that potential that, that you touch on you know really is striking um but this being the long short uh we we want to hear about alternative investments um and to the extent that there is an alternative assets market in india um what can you tell our listeners about that shift um so i think you know first thing with a stable economy along with a very well regulated investment industry the alternate investment market is gaining traction among both domestic and foreign investors right um india has historically been a very plain vanilla equity market class uh one you know the mutual fund industry as it started mushrooming and 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 seeing the kind of growth since 2014 you know they have done a lot of investor education and investment campaigns and done a lot of marketing spend especially during the ipos of you know that that india sees and you know that that's transpired into you know not only the top cities but also kind of dissipated into you know not just the urban mass but also certain parts of rural india as well now what we are seeing in india is a growing influence as the hni community which is the high net worth the family offices they diversify away just from plain vanilla products into the all space in india right and that includes in india private equity private debt structured products credit funds venture capital angel funds you know in the hedge funds in india kind of predominantly we we like to call them you know pmss and aifs but i would say club them as as hedge fund for for this audience at the moment um and of course everything in india the all the all space is regulated by sebi that's first to give you a little investor perspective the alternative indian investment industry has witnessed a cagr of almost you know 27% 30% over the last 5 years alone right if i had to just break that down into aifs that number is actually 34% cagr and if i had to give you some you know usd billion numbers at the moment aifs in india have raised and i repeat raised to the tune of 130 billion dollars not deployed 
deploy deployment will happen because you know we we club a lot of these private equity funds into in india as well i think the deployment from this asset class from this product class will happen in the next 2 3 years as well and that number will continue to grow you know but nevertheless the stellar growth is primarily fueled by the rising popularity of and i'll just break down for aifs they are broken down into three categories cat 1 cat 2 and cat 3 um, and and the and the bulk of the investments and the growth that we are seeing in india are have been in cat 2 products right and uh, and 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 to give you a, a, a sense of you know what's propelling this growth in cat 2 uh, they have gone from almost you know a six fold increase in 2018 uh from 20 billion to almost 104 billion in 2023 and this is despite a minimum investment of 1 crore which i have to translate is about 125000 us dollars shiv can i just you there's a lot to unpack there and if if i may just ask a question on you talked about the compound average growth rate um of apes if i understood that correctly you said 27% or 24% but in, in, in any event it's over 20% but can you put that in context in terms of is that performance or is that asset flows that's asset flows that's asset flow yeah right that's asset flow that's happened into the all space in india and and what 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 i've been reading is that that cagr is likely to be still 20% plus over the next 5 to 10 years i actually think it's going to be in to the range of 30% in the next 5 to 10 years as well even higher wow yes Could I ask you to expand a little bit more on the investor point that you touched on there um in terms of who is looking at what types of um asset classes in alts and then just maybe more broadly what are the areas that are seeing the most activity sure so i think you know just highlighting a few more things the potential for alternative investments in the indian markets uh compared to the global markets is the runway is massive large right um and if you look at why is this asset class seeing that kind of uh growth it's kind of important to realize that if you are a wealthy individual which is you know hni what we term as or a ultra hni or a family office right there are a couple of categories that you need one you want to create alpha from new sources rather than just direct investments into mutual funds right two you also need access to innovative solutions and what is also transpiring in india is that there is a revolution of sorts that because of the carry that these funds can charge the best minds in the industry are moving away from plain vanilla products you know there were star managers and mutual funds um, or other uh, investment asset classes and they are starting on their own or they're like or they're or joining large bulk bracket aifs and pmss and that is creating uh, access to these hnis for innovative solutions to what they want to achieve and third they are able to capture emerging trends and early opportunities are uh, far better than some of these larger uh, mutual funds can can achieve or try and uh, try and do right so the underlying objective is 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 growing uh, for these for these hnis in a very meaningful uh, manner and the other thing that's that's transpired in india is that you know there is also this rise of private credit in india that's that's clubbed into the all space as well uh, where i just want to make one point that in india there was a crisis in 2018-19 in the nbfc space which is the non bank financial companies and as a result of which the nbfc and the mutual funds contained their corporate lending due to liquidity issues and this growth of aif and pmss is, is providing this access uh, of uh, of funds uh, to a lot of players that other, earlier 
were kind of cut off from from the investment community and that is a massive boom to real players who can go out and create opportunities and scale up businesses Amos Singapore is proud to be celebrating its 20th anniversary at the Amos Singapore Annual Forum, taking place on Wednesday, 20th March 2024, at the iconic Singapore landmark, the Marina Bay Sands. Returning in person, the forum aims to bring together policy and regulatory bodies, hedge fund and alternative investment managers, industry professionals, and thought leaders to share insights and reflections on the industry. In a day brimming with captivating panel sessions, interactive discussions, intimate fireside chats, masterclasses, and a host of engaging activities, come join the dialogue and immerse yourself in profound discussions as we delve into anticipated landscape for Singapore and the region this 2024. See you there, and see you soon. And the infrastructure, or rather the climate, let's say, and the demand for uh, direct lending, you're likely to see that only to increase further over the coming years? Because you've touched on private credit being an area of interest in India, and we read about that as well. But what's your sense of how that's going to grow? I think there's going to be a massive runway, right? I think uh, from every metric that I look at, I think uh, this space um and you know just the credit uptake in india and the amount of startups uh, that are happening you know india we all know the the stats on the, on the unicorns that india has created of course i would say you know last 18 months there was a funding winter of sorts uh, across the globe in in terms of the startup community but in india in the last 6 months that's coming back with a with a very strong uh, tailwind and i think this space is only going to become larger uh, there is definitely Uh, a very robust demand uh, there are increased capital utilizations resulting in very visible green shoots economic activity uh, just in not only in the startup space but also in the msme space you know the the lower end of the spectrum uh, of uh, companies so i think you know this this space it entirely is going to mushroom in india we you know i am seeing a lot many established players and new players looking at the alls and seeing the kind of growth that they can and it's attracting a lot of both intellectual and financial capital and this being incentivized by the administration as well there's an impetus to have capital markets come in and support this growth yes absolutely absolutely 100% i think uh, you know it's it's not just the the entire ecosystem but the service providers what the regulators are doing uh, the special economic zones that are getting set up Uh, the entire ecosystem is coming for the benefit uh, of the all space in india i think you will see post elections uh, a lot of uh, impetus by uh, the the central powers and, and the gujarat government on give city i think you will not see a lot of uptake by both the domestic and international community in that space as well and just on the hedge question specifically can you give some visibility on the extent to which that growth of of hedge funds based in india are local and uh are sort of born and bred in that market as opposed to being offshoots of of international names we get a lot of questions um 
as Aima on, on the comms side from journalists and others about the startup rate in India. And there's a huge amount of interest there. But obviously, most of the attention is on those big international names setting up shop there. So I think, you know, one thing that's transpired post-COVID is, is, is uh, I think, you know, India used to be looked as, as, a, as a cheap offshoring option. But I think it get also being looked as, you know, it's been the supply chain logistics have moved from French shoring. And what that's transpired is that, especially in financial services, I'm hearing of a lot of MNCs. Uh, we are in, I would say that, you know, at, at normal level, we are also advising a few of these, so I will not name names. But the reality is that it what initially started off of India being uh, set up for, you know, back office operations is slowly morphing into large investment houses looking at the talent pool that exists in India, both in terms of not just back office, but middle office, and now front office. I'm seeing more and more hedge funds, uh, long-only asset managers, established ETF players coming into India and taking up large spaces, competing with local talent uh, for hires. Um, and I think this space is, is going to mushroom to a very large extent. Uh, what I'm also seeing, another space that we have not spoken about is not only hedge fund long shot uh, fund managers, but also the kind of growth that India is seeing in terms of quant and HFT funds. Um, I'm sure the audience will know they heard that India is now the maximum derivative traded contracts in terms of number of contracts in the world today. And that is also a result of the fact that there is a huge retail base that has been investing uh, and has kind of, you know, Pre-COVID, India used to have 25 DMAT accounts, and a DMAT account means basically means a unique identity that you need to trade in India. That has grown fivefold to 125 million DMAT accounts, right? And uh, there is also a result of the way the products have got developed in India. We also have you know single stock futures and derivatives. Uh, there is a monthly role to that. There is Bank Nifty. There is Nifty. There is Sensex futures. So there is so much happening in terms of product development. Uh, we also have weekly expiries. And what that is entailing is that, yes, I would definitely argue, uh, you know, that there is an element of euphoria and there is a lot of speculation happening from the retail side of things, uh, which I think the regulators should be cognizant of. And there is an element that there's a bubble getting formed. And I think we're in the nascent stages of that. But yes, at the same time, it is attracting market makers, HFTs, cons, hedge funds uh, to participate in the market inefficiencies and, and create PNL. Um, and I think that runway is large. Shib, we'll touch on the regulatory piece in, in a moment, but one question that um, uh, I'm keen to ask is, why is all this happening now? Why are we reading about this interest? Or maybe it's just that it's just piqued our curiosity now and it's been going on, for, for as you would suggest, for, for several years now. But it, it seems like this perfect storm is happening when you think about alternatives. And obviously there is... Uh, the whole uh, dividend demographic as well, which is pushing India um, into people's foremost thoughts. And then you've got the China Plus One initiative as well. But when I'm bringing it back to just hedge funds again, there is more sense now I have of hedge funds really looking at India and international hedge funds as well, looking to um, seek out India as, as, as a base for investment. What, why do you think that is so? So I think, you know, there are a couple of things here we just need to kind of understand, right? Firstly, uh, you know, if you look at just the MSCI EM index, right, which is a representative of India's economic growth, what's been happening, right? 
in the last decade, India's group has grown from being 6.4% in the MSCI index to almost, you know, 18.2% as of last month's review, right? And if you just compare to what's transpired, which was the largest wave was China, in the same period, China has gone from 42.5 to 24.8%, right? Which is down 18%, India's up uh, almost, uh, you know, uh, actually the same amount, right? Uh, India's up 12% and China's down 18%. Now, if you are a hedge fund manager, right? I mean, if you were to deploy earlier $100 in, in, in EM, uh, you were, if you were equal weighted, you were deploying $6 in India, right? Now you're deploying almost $18. Um, and as a result, I think what's been happening in India, there's been this whole domestic impetus, which people don't realize. Like, so today India is about a 3.3 trillion economy, right? We are in the top five. By, I think, two or three years, we will also be the highest human capital on the planet. Uh, we'll be 1.5 billion people, right, in, in the next two years. When I say the highest human capital, I just don't mean human capital in just terms of population. But what you also need to understand is that, and there was a recent study, I don't recollect which one, but I was hearing that on average, an Indian born in 2010 would be spending about $175,000 in his or her lifetime. You know, multiply that by 1.5 billion. Look at the size of the market, Right. We are a marketplace today of $4 trillion. It's probably one of the biggest opportunities ever available in the free democratic world. The other point of that 1.5 billion people or 1 billion of those will be the, under the age of 30, right? So this demographic dividend that you're talking about, it is, it is the largest workforce on the planet. We will probably have a middle class of anywhere between 550 to 750 million people. So it's not just a marketplace. It is also the human capital, which is driving and propelling the market with the skill set available with it, right? So if you look at India from 2020 to 2040, right, it's the sweet spot for India's demographic dividend, right? And, and I'm not, not even talking about the fact that uh, we will also have, uh, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, India's female labor participation rate has been, bought, has, has been coming down. But what I see now in the last three or four years, that's bottom out and it's on the verge of increasing again. So that will be another game changer because if India grows at 8% per annum with the headwind of falling labor participation rates, imagine the growth rate for India with the tailwind of increasing labor uh, female participation rates. So what is happening is that the world is looking at India from a very different lens, right? I gave you the number of 3.3 trillion GDP. Over two-thirds of that GDP is actually driven by domestic consumption in India. I don't think there's any other emerging market where the domestic part is so large. So what that means is that India is kind of insulated by global measures and global headwinds and, and, and uh, you know, the geopolitics that is transpiring and, and the debt burden that the rest, rest, rest of the world is. And that brings out the resilient status of the Indian economy. And I think the investor community, along with the hedge funds, are slowly realizing that, that aspect and are going to deploy more and more more to India and are coming to set up bases in India as well. Tom is absolutely right that we need to ask you about SEBI and the regulatory reaction to, to all of this, because that is obviously key to talking about whether this is going to be sustained growth and uh, the potential headwinds that are coming, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. But one final question on this sort of broader India, um, the, or the Indian landscape, I should say, is that to what extent is the service provider ecosystem around these asset managers and hedge funds and, and private equity firms keeping up with the, the major growth that you've outlined? Because uh, so much of the time, that is a big 
um, challenge is if you know people want to be to an extent near their service providers or have close relationships. And so, to what extent are the the law firms, the tech firms, either international or, or homegrown, there to service and sustain this asset management growth? I think the the ecosystem is evolving, right? If you were to ask me, uh, are we there yet? Uh, no, the the competition is evolving. Uh, most of the bulge bracket. Uh, go-to players for any large-scale enterprise setting up uh, are a combination of few MNCs, uh, but a lot of homegrown uh, companies that have been doing this for you know two decades and more. And what also is happening is with this whole growth of the alt space, which is only happening in India since about say 2016-17, which what's transpiring is the AIFs and the PMSs. Um, a lot of domestic service providers are. And, and and law firms and corporate advisors are are seeing a very large scale inflow of um, business, right? And the ecosystem is evolving, uh, both in terms of you know custody and clearing houses, um, and also in terms of the tech systems that are available in India, right? The Indian regulatory systems are very very different, right? As as we all know, right? I mean, we can talk about the fact that how we love to keep changing the the goalposts for in india from a from an international foreign fpi owner perspective um, and some would say that you know the compliance department is more busier than than the investment department in india especially in the last couple of years but the reality is that it is still evolving as the market is evolving as i said that you know india has been a plain vanilla market and i think the service providers have a large runway to grow um what that entails is that it will also require a lot of education in terms of talent, uh, because at the moment there is a very narrow talent pool that you know new players can come and and kind of you know uh, pick up potential expertise because a very few of these people have, have are, are around, right? So I think a lot of education and an investor base will have to emerge, and that will continue to emerge. You know, if if you think about it, it's only been in the last couple of years that this ecosystem has evolved. So it's you know it's been less than five or six seven years uh, where this uptake has been happening in the all space in India. So it's very nascent. It needs to evolve. It will evolve. Uh, but the capital markets are providing that opportunity. Uh, you know I think there's a large runway here. Markets have been kind, and I think a lot of new people are are looking at the space, and and you know there will be a very healthy competition here. And a central player in all of this development will be um, the part of the regulator. Tell us about SEBI. I think, you know, over the last few years, the regulator has taken several important steps. You know, there is uh, definitely uh, a standardization of the of the PPMs. You know, the PPM used to be all over the place. The PPM, you know, when I say PPM, the private placement memorandums, uh, the PPM audits and the mandatory benchmarking of, of AIFs, uh, the involving role of improving transparency and helping investors, you know, making informed decisions. Uh, how they're controlling the relationship managers in wealth outfits, so there is no mis-selling. Um, as I said, you know, uh, the 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 setup of the international financial service centers in Gift City uh, that can you know investors can avail several benefits like tax incentives. Um, I think overall the regulators are are you know cognizant of the fact that it's it's a large market. Uh, they always come from the approach that they need to protect the end retail investor uh, and improve the quality of the investor participation across the industry. 
Um, and I think it is continuously, you know, the entire regulator space and the ecosystem is continuously evolving and growing. Uh, but the steps taken by the regulator have been focused on compliance. Uh, they are definitely aimed at building investor confidence. Uh, there have been instances in India uh, which have, you know, kind of derailed that, uh, I would say, confidence. Uh, but having said that, the scale and size that we operate in, you know, those, those instances have been far few less. Uh, there is increasing transparency. Um, and I think that's all helping the ecosystem. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it's it's not an easy job being a regulator in India where there's so many moving parts. Uh, I think the one thing that I would like to see is the development of, you know, the manufacturing suite of products. As I keep saying, I think India is a very plain vanilla. Uh, most of, you know, getting approvals from SEBI for anything complex is still very hard. Um, and as a manufacturer of uh, all space in India as well, uh, we find it very cumbersome that uh, to take something to market, it entails still a lot of uh, back and forth. But, uh, you know, the end investor always needs to be protected. And, that, and you know, that's the regulators, um, I would say, you know, first port of call. Um, and that can become challenging sometimes. And when we think about all the changes that SEBI has put in place in, in recent months, that often has a big effect, not just on on the the rules of the game, but also the mood music in the market. And and when I think about the moves that uh, Sebi has made compared to um, maybe South Korea or or even the US, in terms of the tone the regulator is taking, in terms of uh, focusing on investor protection, but also empowering retail investors and others to engage more with the market. For example, Sebi recently put out more guidance on uh, short selling from an institutional and a retail point of view. That seems to imply that there is a very positive vibe and that they are encouraging um, sensible and, and, and sort of well-educated investors entering and, and engaging with the market, maybe more so than other global players. Would you agree with that? 100%. You know, I think uh, historically, if you look at the way the ecosystem has evolved and the regulators have worked in India, you know, they would do closed door meetings among themselves and change, uh, you know, you would you get up in the morning or middle of the night and you would see, you know, uh, the decision being made and there's been a massive regulatory change. I think the biggest change that is transpiring in India is that there is now an element of a white paper discussion before a reform is implemented. And what that means is that market participants and the industry has a dialogue uh, which is much more practical, much more feasible. It comes from, uh, you know, they, they would like to touch the entire ecosystem and, and all the stakeholders take their views and then implement a decision, which never happened before. So that is something that is, you know, uh, uh, I think very welcome, uh, both from the domestic and the international community. And uh, as you rightly said, so I think that will only continue. And... Uh, also, the element that is transpiring is that I think a lot more practical hires are being made by, by SEBI and there are a lot more players that have come from the private uh, space um, and that is helping in, and having these dialogues. Um, and um, Shiv, I've read about uh, some requirements that SEBI has put in place to its standard operating procedure. All of that which would suggest that certain fund manager firms would be prevented from allocating capital to the Indian market. Is there anything you can tell our listeners about that? So Tom, a great question. Uh, from what I believe and I've been led to understand is that there has been an extension given 
uh, and on a need by basis, I think uh, if you approach Sabi, they will give you another for further six months. Um, so that's the latest on that aspect. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it has come as something that Sebi wants, and I think it's coming from the fact that they do want to control the swap route and have uh, transparency in, on the UBO at the at the end part of it. Uh, how that transpires is anybody's guess, uh, but it does feel that they do want to curb uh, the ODI uh, swap route in, in India. Um, so let's see. I want to ask you about potential headwinds because I think quite reasonably you've, you've laid out a very bullish and an optimistic outlook for the market going forward. But it surely can't be all plain sailing. And um, there seems to be some indication that there's been some spotlight on uh, corporate governance issues, which again, SEBI has, has taken on. And maybe you could just talk us around, talk us a little bit about um, what potentially could be put in the path of, of this growth uh, journey that you've laid out. So I think, you know, India's had a great run. Um, as I said, you know, eighth consecutive year, Indian markets have, have given a positive return. Uh, it's a long streak. Uh, post-COVID normalization has happened in the economy. The economy is doing very well, and I'm a, and I think I, I remain very bullish. Uh, I moved back to India in 2014 after a long stint, uh, both in Singapore and, and Sydney, uh, primarily because of the reason I was very bullish on what is about to transpire, and that's the, it's played out that way. Uh, what I do feel definitely, though, that at the moment, I think we are we are we are. Price for perfection. I think everybody is uh, expecting the incumbent government to continue consistency in policy, uh, and you know where the market has run up, especially in uh, there is a, a bit of a euphoria in the in in the mid and small cap space. Yes, we are continuing to find good quality companies growing very reasonably. Growth rates are there, uh, but at the same time, I think this whole flow of money, both from a domestic persp perspective and and foreign. Uh, is creating bubbles in certain uh, sectors or certain pockets of, of the market. Um, but inherently, bubbles can continue for a very long time. So I'm not calling it just a peak yet. I think there is a large runway here. Um, I think elections is an uncertainty, while mostly everyone expects political continuity. Uh, any upset there could be a derating event uh, in the next two months. Uh, geopolitical risks, too, are one to watch out for. Uh, you know, while we can say that uh, India is decoupled at the moment and has been showing signs like that uh, for the last couple of quarters, uh, a global recession uh, which cannot be ruled out uh, can uh, definitely derail or impact the India growth story as well. Um, at the end of it, you know, risk is sometimes what we don't anticipate, uh, and that's the reality of risk. And uh, so I think, you know, at this juncture, um, some consolidation in the Indian markets would be healthy uh, just because of the fact that we have seen a large uh, run up very fast. And uh, I think it could be a time consolidation rather than a price consolidation. But uh, yeah, I think those, those would be my main points of uh, contention where we sit today. But I would caveat all that by saying that I remain an extreme uh, perma bull in India and I see a large runway. Well, wrapping this episode, it's clear to, to me, and I'm sure to you also, Drew, that this is a topic that we will certainly have to revisit sooner rather than later. But this is the time of the show now where we call on our producer, 
Um, this is a, a new part to uh, the long short this season. Um, so a producer gets to ask a question, Shiv. So if you can indulge us in doing so, we'll bring in Kat. Thanks, Tom. And hi, Shiv. Um, Shiv, what is the one mistake that Western asset managers make when entering the Indian market? If you could tell businesses one thing, what would this be? Great question. Um, I think, you know, it's investing is a, is a, is a universal art, right? I, I don't think the principles change. Uh, if you can find good companies, good management, uh, growing at a reasonable rate and, and high growth rates in India, especially uh, with free cash flow, uh, you know, all the metrics that uh, I would say Warren Buffett ticks uh, and you would use in other international markets that don't change. What does change in India is that I do feel that India remains a buy on dip at the moment. Uh, yes, as I said, you know, India has run up a fair bit. Uh, there is some consolidation on the cards in my mind. But uh, I do feel that most of the listening community is not buying India for the next one or two quarters. I think India has got a large runway here for the next 10 years. And I would caveat that by saying in the earlier part of the episode, I said that India is one of the few markets in EM where you know GDP rates and uh, cash flows for earning companies have correlated with investor returns. So if you're coming to India, don't be a flyby operator. Don't invest for one or two quarters. You need to invest for a business cycle in a company to real C compounding and real C multipackers and a healthy state of return. Um, and I think that will not change. I think historically, most investors who have taken a longer term view have done well in India. India will remain a volatile market. I think you will see, you know, a constant dips. Uh, but as I said, if you're buying for the right reasons and you have done the work and done the conviction, uh, it remains one of the best investing opportunities in the next two decades in my mind. Great question, Kat. You are already setting a trend of, of keeping us honest and, and getting back to the core of the matter on these conversations, especially with something uh, as huge a topic as, as India. Um, Shiv, that's been absolutely fascinating. And, and Tom is definitely right that we will return to this topic at least once more. We could have gone down so many rabbit holes there and, and we have to keep very restrained to, to give a high level overview and, and touch on many things. So thank you so much for, for walking us through our first episode on the Indian market. We will absolutely have to have you back again, maybe on the other side of the elections when we know a bit more and, and can plot out the, the future growth. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for joining us on The Long Short. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to having a chat again soon. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.